Reeves needs to rebound from what was a terrible season. Does everyone like basketball? With the second pick in the 1999 NBA draft, the Vancouver Grizzlies select Steve Francis from the University of Maryland. This is with the second pick, Steve Francis. The astonishingly niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast where we dust off those old VHS tapes of expansion 90s basketball and look for some of the beauty in 19-foot jump shots and never-ending post-entry passes. I'm here with the ranker of parks, drinker of fine local craft beers, Justin McElroy. How are you doing, Justin? Jeremy, I feel like this podcast is a microcosm for the Vancouver Grizzlies as a whole. We started off with such high hopes, and now we are just two people in the middle of a constant slog of agony. But I'm ready for another game. I'm ready for more high hopes, and I'm ready for the Grizzlies to crush my dreams yet again. Well, let me... Okay, let's stop you right there. I see what the metaphor and the line you're drawing here, but let's talk about a little something that happened on Instagram today. We got a little bit of a nod from... The dude the podcast is named after, Stevie Franchise on Instagram. I'm not 100% convinced he knows it's a podcast yet, but he knows about our logo anyway. And he enjoyed it enough to show it to his fans sort of positively, which may be the first time in Steve Francis's life he's talked about Vancouver without shitting on it immediately. So thank you, Steve. And anytime you want to show up on the podcast, that'd be cool too. Anytime we'll have Stevie Franchise on, I'll tell you that much. And as you pointed out, it only took, what, 21 years, X amount of months and days for the approval of the Vancouver Grizzlies, Stevie Francis almost as endless as the losing streak the Grizzlies were in in their first season by the time we get to the game we're doing today. You know, in the first half of season one, Vancouver was spunky. They had some buzzer beaters. They looked at times like a semi-competitive team. They went on an 8-12 and run at one point, which a run being 8-12 and is sort of the bar you have for Vancouver success. But in the second half, it was not going well at all. They had lost 15 games in a row by the time we come to today's game. On March 20th, 1996, the, at this point, 11-52 and 52 Vancouver Grizzlies against the 35-29, and 29, always spunky, always in playoff contention, never quite making it to the conference final, Atlanta Hawks. This is Atlanta, Georgia, home to the 96 Olympic Games and home to the Atlanta Hawks. Tonight, it's Pontiac Basketball on Grizzlies TV here at the Omni with the Vancouver Grizzlies in town to battle the Atlanta Hawks. The game is at the Omni, and Jeremy, the atmosphere here is about as putrid as Vancouver is. Well, so, we're like you pointed out, we're at the Omni Coliseum, and it is like, I'm not joking, a fifth full, a quarter full. There's maybe six or 7,000 people there. The Grizz are coming in on their third game of four nights. The Hawks have had three nights off. And there's actually quite a bit to set up here just to, to give the lay of the land to our listeners. The game was on something called Grizzlies TV. They had a bizarre opening with a small redheaded child stand, handing Super Grizz the ball outside a GM place. The play-by-play is by a guy named Steve Fiziok with color commentary from Michael Thompson, that's Clay Thompson's dad, L.A. Laker from the 80s. The Grizzlies arrived late to this game because apparently the mobile walkway for their plane crashed into another plane or their plane, and that delayed their thing. They got there at 1 in the afternoon, and Greg Anthony's out for this one 
because he was very awkwardly and weirdly tackled by the seven foot six Sean Bradley in New Jersey the night before. And Greg Anthony rolled, rolls over and absolutely clocks him right in the head. And he's suspended for the game with a $5,000 fine. Um, so, yeah, lots to think about going into this one. And I uh, also just wanted to point out the Hawks jerseys in this one. Just brutal. They're those, um, they've moved away from the Pac-Man, the beautiful Pac-Man with the red and yellow. And they've got the cartoon Hawk that wraps around to the back so that if you see them from the back, it looks like the Hawk is hugging them. Very brutal jerseys, especially considering what we know they could have. It was an, an interesting start to this one, just with all kinds of little foibles leading into it. But uh, tell us about the starters. Starting lineup for the Atlanta Hawks in this game. You know, Jeremy, you talk about the cartoonishness of the Hawks jerseys. But for me, I like it just because I was a kid then. It's the late 90s. And not only that, this was a pretty classic Hawks team in that they made the playoffs many years in a row with the same core. We've got Mookie Blaylock at guard. We've got Steve Smith at the two spot. Christian Leitner acquired earlier in the season from the Timberwolves uh, at center. We've got the Plastic Man, Stacey Ogman, providing good two-way play as well. We don't quite have Matumbo yet. He comes in for the Hawks next season, but we get future Grizzly Grant Long here. So again, solid starters all throughout the lineup. Big reason why they've made the playoffs year after year during this era. Grizzlies not so much. G-Money, Greg Anthony out of the lineup, which means the pickings are slim. Yeah, they've got Gerald Wilkins, uh, who's been back for 13 games at this point. Big country, our rock in the middle. Eric Murdoch standing in for Greg Anthony at the point. Blue Edwards, almost as always. And Ashraf Amaya getting the start in this one for the Grizz. And a little tip of the cap, as you pointed out, the Plastic Man, one of the greatest all-time nicknames in the NBA. Let's move to the first quarter at the Omni Coliseum, Grizzlies Hawks. Early on, not too much to talk about outside of some pretty sloppy play in the first quarter, but Grant Long is balling. He's rebounding. He's finishing. He looks amazing. And I had that thought in my head of like, I could just see Stu Jackson watching this game and like marking down in his little notebook, like, to do, sign Grant Long. <laughs> <laughs> do it three years from now after we've exhausted all possible other forwards to play with big country. Seriously. Uh, the quarter is back and forth. It's not really flowing all that much. We get a couple back-to-back Gerald Wilkins dunks at one point, which is the highlight of the Gerald Wilkins experience in Vancouver. Long has it picked, and here comes Gerald Wilkins. Watch this. Nice and easy. Doesn't want to wear out those legs too easy, too too early in the game. Near the end of the quarter, we get a nice Eric Murdoch basket, but then he gets a janky miss later. The quarter finishes 23-23, tied all. I should also point out, Justin, that at one point, Michael Thompson does call Ashraf Amaya Vancouver's Dennis Rodman. So that was definitely one of the highlights for me for a good chortle. Yeah, the announcers were just sort of free associating for most of the night. Sometimes they went like two or three seconds saying nothing. It was a little bit weird, but I did enjoy the enthusiasm from Fizioc and Thompson. And I did enjoy just having a home team announcing group after the road ones that we've gotten. Of course, they weren't long for the Grizzlies. After the first season, they were replaced by having Don Poye and Jay Triano, the radio team, simply simulcast games, whether it was on Check, BTV, 
what have you for the rest of the way of the Grizzlies era in Vancouver. First quarter tied, as we said, and at the end of the first quarter, we go to our segment known as Watching Big Country. You know, this one, and, you know, let's be transparent here, one of the reasons we wanted to watch this game wasn't because we were dying to see the middle-of-the-road perennial seventh seed in the East Atlanta Hawks. It was because we wanted to bring a bona fide good big country game. And this was one of those games, you know? It was interesting because in the first quarter and first half, he actually starts out really slow, and he only has five points in the first half. However, you can tell... He's got a game in him kind of right from the start because there's just this energy. There's a spring in his step. As soon as he's touching the ball, he's making decisive moves. He's not connecting at first, but eventually it starts to fall. He ends up with 15 points in the second half, including three and one. Country gets the pick. There's the roll. And two more for BC. Nine points and one more free throw coming So what I take from that and what I took from this game was he's actually starting to move away from solely dedicated rolling right-hand hooks and fade away over the right shoulder shots to, hey, man, I'm going to get to the hoop and I'm going to get fouled and I'm going to finish. And I was actually really, really impressed with that specific part of his game. You know, it's interesting because we started this series with a few clunkers from country, and that was sort of what happened a lot of the times in his first 30 games with the Grizzlies. He was raw. He was not ready to be a starter at the in the NBA, but Vancouver treated him as such, and he just looked out of touch a lot of times, and I think really set the tone and expectations, especially outside of Vancouver, for what he was going to be. But in the second half of this season, let me throw some stats at you, Jeremy. From December 15th to April 15th, 54 game span, he gets 16 points a game, he gets 9 rebounds a game, he shoots 47% from the floor. These are good starter numbers, and he all those entry passes they feed him, it seems to build up his confidence a bit. And watching this game, you know, he's nimble around uh, the post within like three, four feet. He has a lot of quickness, actually. He's able to play defense and hold Atlanta to a draw there. I'm not going to say that he runs up the court, but he's able to be part of fast breaks. He gets a couple nice and ones by doing just quick cuts in the post as well. You know, this is a player now that we can see, and you can see that potential why Vancouver drafted him, and you can be excited for the player that you think he's going to come. He never fully gets there, but he shows in this first season, in the second half of the first season, there's not a lot of highlights for the Vancouver Grizzlies. Bryant Reeves becoming an NBA starter is one of them. Yeah, and like, I mean, let's remember too, this is still a rookie and rookies take time to develop. And I like that you mentioned the defense because his rebounding was really solid in this game. He was getting, you know, the timing down. He's the biggest guy on the floor and you could see that big white paw of his reaching up and it would be the first to the ball because he could get up higher than everyone else. And, you know, he was even, uh, he had a block that was uncredited that was quite impressive, kind of like a flying tip. And uh, he finishes the game 39 minutes, 20 points, 11 rebounds, a steal, only two turnovers, eight of 16 from the field and four or five from the line. You know, you leave that going, 
if this is a rookie and you're thinking about, you know, a six, eight, 10, 12 year career, you got to be feeling awesome. If you're the Grizzlies, when you look at, at Bryant Reeves in this game, ultimately country didn't finish in the top five in voting for NBA rookie of the year this year. I think the die was cast too early on and there were enough starters who were probably better from him. But like I said, I think he's the highlight in the second half of the season. And you can see why there was faith that he could grow into maybe a borderline all-star. And you know what? Maybe quickly, we should check ourselves about how much hate, and it was mostly me, but when he played 45 minutes that game and we just like cried about it, maybe, maybe that's what led to this. I don't know. Maybe that like embarrassment and the trudgery of just like forcing him to get in shape through playing in games. Who knows? Maybe that's what led to this. I'm not sure it was good on him psychologically, but there are some results to be had here. I mean, it's like grinding a video game. You just do something again and again and again, and you build up the experience points. And Country does have good instincts. So after 200 times of feeding him the ball in the post, it started to pay off. Second quarter, again, back and forth basketball. Not particularly good back and forth basketball. We got a nice Stacey Ogman dunk at one point. We get the requisite second quarter. Byron Scott comes off the bench, makes a couple of nice long buckets. Byron is Byron is stroking it in the second quarter. Goes corner, Byron Scott. I think that's a great decision by Moat. Yeah, it was great ball movement by the Grizzlies. About four different, five different guys shot, touched the ball before Byron finally got a shot off. But Lord. 12 points in the quarter. for He finished with 18, but he, he had 12 of them in that quarter. Like, he couldn't miss. It was great. Or, and that's what Byron does. And it's that smooth shot from deep or long to contrast that nice arc with the shot with our first appearance of Lawrence Moten, a fan favorite in Vancouver for his two seasons. And he had some energy. He could play good defense. But Jeremy, that shot was not exactly all world. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see him because I was like, okay, there's those uh, shin high socks that we used to copy when we were in high school. And uh, he had great energy, decent handles because the Hawks were actually picking them up um, full court a lot and actually trapping at half as well. So it's good to see someone with a good handle in there. But for some reason, and this is one of those Brian Winters head scratchers, they have Lawrence Moten go to post up Mookie Blaylock on back-to-back possessions in the second quarter. And the first one's a fadeaway that's kind of a brick off the back of the rim. And then the second one, he works them inside and he just gets spike blocked because as far as I could tell, Lawrence Moten, not a terribly experienced post-up player, but uh, you know, I did enjoy, I enjoyed getting to watch him for the first time and at least seeing that he brought some kind of verve to the game for the squad. I mean, Jeremy, we've watched enough Grizzlies games from the first season now that we know they pretty much only have two plays that they go to feed the ball to big country in the post or let Greg Anthony penetrate and try and make something happening. And Greg Anthony ain't in this game. So the options are limited and the Lawrence Moten post-up is about as good as we're going to get. Still, though, in the second quarter, we do get a couple classic poetry in Moten plays. He gets a nice steal and a dunk at one point. Stacey Ogman wanted it. Lawrence Moten with the steal and slam. Well, that's what he did for so so many years in, in Syracuse. Chris King makes a long baseline two. Nothing is really happening for the Hawks. And so at halftime against a playoff team, the Vancouver Grizzlies are up 51 to 48. And it's halftime, which brings us to our next segment. What did Stu do now? Okay, well, we've got a couple here. I'll start with mine. There's so many that you and I just had to split them up to share it around, share the wealth, Um, (laughs) share the poverty, I suppose. So Rich Manning, we've got Rich Manning in this game. 
He's a center. He went to the University of Washington and Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken. Big white guy in the middle. And I have to admit, of all the games we've watched, you know, with the caveat that this guy made the NBA, he's, you know, a, a great athlete and hell of a lot better at hoops than I ever was. But this is the first guy I've seen this year where I was annoyed and was thinking, like, this guy is clearly not an NBA caliber player. Like, why is he in this game at all? So I started taking notes on some of the plays. He almost falls over trying to defend a Christian Leitner spin move on the baseline. For some reason, they go to him in the post like four times, five times. One of those times, he just panics and throws a brick that almost breaks the backboard, makes a brutal turnover um, out of the post in sheer panic. And I, you know, I bet you're wondering, like, okay, why is this Stu Jackson's fault? Well, let me tell you, fine listener. So first of all, this guy's a 25-year-old rookie. So doesn't that tell you something? Red flag. Red flag. Yeah, red flag. 25-year-old rookie. No one's taken a chance on him to this point. So he signs with the Grizzlies. Stu signs him on October 5th of 95. Waves him on November 27th, so a month and a half later. But whoop. (laughs) <laughs> here comes the you know spin the vinyl sound <laughs> signs him again on january 12th and then a year later he's off the team he only gets 10 more games in the show with the clippers uh and he's out of the league so he had 55 games in total in the nba and 45 were the vancouver and i don't think he was really equipped ever to be an nba player but for some reason Stu jackson was just willing to give rich manning lots of run the 25 year old rookie we saw a little too much of Rich Manning in the second half of the season. Who we didn't see at all was Kenny Gaddison, one of the high expansion picks by the Grizzlies, someone who had lots of experience. Everyone praised his veteran character. He had too many injuries and decided that he needed to retire. But Stu picked him with two years left on his contract. There was one still to go. And so he ended up trading Gaddison for Jeff Turner, a player for the Orlando Magic who was also injured and never going to come back again. But to facilitate this salary dump, the Grizzlies also gave the Magic a second-round pick. And look, second-round picks aren't the biggest thing in the world, but they are assets at the end of the day. And the player the Magic chose with that pick at 49, Amal McCaskill, didn't do much, but it could have ended up being Shandon Anderson, who was picked 54th. So a possible player the Grizzlies could have had that went away because of that trade and again Stu Jackson at the time said that he made this trade to give the Grizzlies more cap space in future seasons next season particularly it's not that they did anything too valuable with that at the end of the day so again this is a chance where the Grizzlies did have assets to begin with and again sometimes through bad luck and sometimes through Stu just making certain decisions had less and less of those assets turn out to things as the years went on Yeah, no, it blows my mind every time to hear. Like, I just don't get how that end result is always wave, cut, cut. And it's like, you got to turn something into something at some point. You can't just keep turning your assets into dust. On to the third quarter, uh, Grizzlies, Hawks. Uh, One thing I wrote down about the third quarter is Ashraf Amaya had two possessions where he looked like a borderline all-star. And then the best thing was how quickly he came crashing back down to reality with just a brutal air ball from the baseline. And it's like, okay, okay, all's well in the world. We're back to kind of normal here. But uh, he looked great for just that little spurt. It was almost like a Antonio Harvey-esque in a way. 
Yeah, some spunk by Amaya. I looked back afterwards thinking, did I miss something key in the Ashraf Amaya era so decadent it was in Vancouver? But no, it turns out that at the end of the day, Ashraf Amaya only played that one season for the Grizz. 54 games, 20 minutes, 6 points, 48% from the field. Basically just another Chris King clone, one of these guys that wasn't awful and didn't take anything away, but certainly didn't give the Grizzlies any wins. And he played for during the middle part of this season where they just lost game after game. Uh, he's in there in this third quarter where, again, nothing is particularly happening. Mookie Blaylock is just getting brick after brick. He ends up going 0 for 10 at one point before he makes a three-pointer. And we're also seeing a lot of long twos. And as you know, you're watching mid-90s NBA basketball when there's just inefficient two after inefficient two with possessions that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, and so the third quarter also is where uh, Big Country comes alive. That's where the and ones start happening. He starts feeling it a little bit. And um, as far as the Hawks are concerned, the only thing really of note you get in the third quarter is a little bl uh, little flash of Leitner brilliance. He scores six straight, though I would point out two of those six came on a wide-open shot when you could see him gather the ball and try to explode to the hoop for a dunk, and he gets four-fifths of the way up. And you can see him go, oh, not getting high enough to dunk, and he ends up laying it in. So you can kind of see it's the beginning of the end as far as, you know, his body and his athleticism being able to hold up to the grind of the NBA, I suppose. But not too much happening in that third quarter to speak of, I would say. The third quarter comes to a close. Uh, this mediocre game at this point has Vancouver still up. Still with a chance, up 69-64. And that brings us to our third quarter segment. Better know a grizzly. And today, we're going to get finally... Finally, we have the chance to talk a little bit about Gerald Wilkins. You know, he was one of the big name veterans that were really touted in that first game we did. I remember Makichi wanted to talk about him. They all wanted to talk about Gerald Wilkins. He's got that kind of NBA royalty last name, right? He was the 20th pick in the expansion draft for the Grizz. Always been known as a high flyer, much like his brother Dominique. Uh, he had, however, missed the entire previous season with an Achilles injury, which you know is like a fate almost worse than death for someone who relies on explosiveness for their NBA game. Uh, only ends up playing 28 games for the Grizzlies, kind of sad, and had sad numbers too. Uh, seven points, two rebounds, two assists, and a steal in about 26 minutes per game on really bad shooting numbers, 38% from the field, 22% from three, and he was taking two and a half threes a game as well. So it was absolutely brutal. Uh, one thing I wanted to throw your way, Justin, was that basketball reference actually denotes that one of Gerald's nicknames is, quote, Jordan Stopper. Well, and this is it, because... <laughs> I mean, there was more cachet around Gerald Wilkins joining the Grizzlies than any other veteran that first season, save for Byron Scott. And it was because he had so much experience as a solid player getting 10 to 20 points a game for years on playoff teams. And often he was playing in the playoffs against Michael Jordan. And that's how he got that nickname, the Jordan Stopper. And it's not like he stopped Michael Jordan, obviously. No, no, no. But... Jordan himself 
said that, yeah, Gerald Wilkins played him hard, he was athletic, he was strong, he was willing to exert himself on the defensive end a lot, and it made it difficult for Michael. And so he had this reputation, announcers around the league knew around him, and so that first season, for those first 50 games or so, when... Vancouver kept saying, well, Wilkins is injured. He's going to come back. I sort of had like a Bart Simpson, Krusty is coming, Krusty is coming, Krusty is coming. <laughs> like somehow his defense is going to save this awful team. And then he starts to play and it's just not there. He doesn't have the speed. It's like he was a 32-year-old that was out for a season with an Achilles injury. Yeah. And it is just not happening whatsoever. And, you know, we talk about earlier, what did Stu do now? This is a huge what did Stu do now? Because he used a high expansion pick on this player that just with the benefit of hindsight was never going to recover and was never going to give this team the actual productive minutes that they needed. Yeah, that's a great point as far as the kind of like looking to someone for a bright spot or a burst or, yeah, I mean, I guess, you, I guess he probably brought some veteran leadership. I do remember him giving some good clips about the team sticking together and, and that kind of thing. But uh, looking back on some of his stats, his best season came with the Knicks when he was only 23 and he had some borderline all-star numbers, 19 points, four uh, assists, four rebounds in 35 minutes with the Knicks. I should point out, and you know, I do this as, with as much earnestness as possible, Gerald has had quite a tough past year. He's been twice arrested for allegedly uh, violent crimes and once hospitalized for mental health issues. So, you know, here's hoping he gets better and, you know, there's some level of justice for uh, the alleged victims in those crimes as well. It's the beginning of the fourth quarter. Grizzlies up by five. We get a couple Manning throwing it away on two straight possessions. Thanks for that. We do get a lovely Lawrence Moden alley-oop from Wilkins at one point. The Grizzlies are still up. Eric Murdoch gets a nice long two. Hawks are keeping it close. Grizzlies, though, are up 80-76 to 76 with six minutes left in the game. This could be the chance for them to break this long losing streak. And then Steve Smith happens. Yeah, basically, uh, Steve Smith comes in and says, um, no thanks, or he awoke from his slumber, or, you know, kind of like Jordan. He just said, wait a minute, why is this solid team of mine playing around with the Vancouver Grizzlies? Steve Smith for three. Ties it up at 80. Lead. Smith goes back to work from outside to give the Hawks a one-point edge. Which is there. Uh -oh. oh, and Steve Smith has just caught fire. These late minutes. Steve Smith again. That's four threes in the fourth. Boy, where did he come from all of a sudden, huh? And this was crazy, though. Like, he was unconscious. He hits three threes in, I think, under a minute. He hits a three. Grizzly turnover. Hits a three, Grizzly miss, hits a three. Like, it happens so fast, and with a blink of an eye, they're up six. And these are just picturesque strokes. Like, And they're not even jump shots. They're that nice set shot from above the head, beautiful wrist flick. It barely looks like he's even putting any effort into it, and the ball's not touching the mesh at all. And he ends up with 19 points in the fourth quarter. He hits four threes. And he ends up with 26 points on 8 of 16 shooting, all part of a 20-8 to eight Atlanta run that ends the game. And if that sounds anticlimactic, it's because it really was. Like, he just started hitting shots, 
and basically the game was over. It was real NBA jam. He's on fire vintage, not just the sheer amount of threes he made, but just that lovely long arc to it. And depressing to watch as a Grizzlies fan, but you have to admire the showmanship of Smith there. And it was just another situation where... The Grizzlies hung around for two quarters, three quarters, were scrappy. The other team was not playing so great. And then it just, all you need is a light switch going off with either the entire team or in this case, one guy on the Hawks of like, all right, we need to win this. And then it seemed over. And as soon as Smith made those barrage of threes, I really did not have any confidence in Vancouver because you look at what their options are, especially with Anthony not in the game. You know, are you going to give it to Reeves in the post and he's suddenly going to turn into Rick Smith? No, this is a team that lacked options. And if another team turned it on on offense, there was not a heck of a lot that Vancouver was able to do. And so we went from 80 to 76 for the Grizzlies to down 88-98 in just the blink of an eye. And that was pretty much it. Yeah, that's the Grizzlies experience, right? It's the like grind, 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 grind. Oh, hey. And then you just, you stupidly allow yourself to think they could win this one, man. They could win this one. You never know. And and I think that's really like what, especially when you talk about an 82 game grinding marathon season is that's what separates I wasn't going to say a great team because the Hawks were certainly not a great team, but even a good team, a solid team from a Vancouver Grizzlies team, which is the Grizzlies when they enter the fourth quarter or say the last six, seven, five, six, seven minutes of the fourth quarter, they all they have to fall back on is exactly what they've been doing the whole game, which is continue to grind, continue to force feed country, try and hit some threes, try and create, try and grind on defense. Whereas these other teams can hit that other gear. They've got a Steve Smith. They've got a Michael Jordan. They've got a, you know, a Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, whoever it may be to be like, okay, I can take it to the next gear. I'm going to make this, I'm going to make something happen. It's like shot creation offense from one guy to win a game. And the Grizzlies just, just absolutely didn't have that. You know, we think highly of Greg Anthony, but you know, that's, that's a, that's a hit or miss uh, scenario, right? Proposition. The NBA is a star driven league. And we say that, and we hear that all the time. And it doesn't just mean in terms of the fame of the players and the personalities involved in what sells, but it's about how you win games. And when there's only five guys on the court, if one person has singular talent or that ability to take over with their shooting, with their isolation play, with their athleticism, then that is so difficult for another team to overcome if they have a lesser star. And the Grizzlies basically their entire career always had the lesser star and all it took was for one player on the opposite team and tonight it was steve smith to show that they were going to play and vancouver rarely had the bullets to match it and so today it was a 98 93 loss at the end of it that was their 16th straight loss it was in the midst of a 23 game loss their longest ever losing streak and the longest losing streak at that time in NBA history. It was not pretty. And this game was very reflective of what it was like to watch a Grizzlies game in the second half of the season one. They lost 29 of 30 after the all-star break. It was absolutely crazy. And with that, This has been, with the second pick, Steve Francis. I'm Jeremy Allingham. For Justin McElroy, 
That wraps up the 1995-1996 Vancouver Grizzlies inaugural season for us. We will be back with a wrap-up of 95-96, and then on to 96-97. Here we go.